Hello and welcome to Sunday Night Conversations brought to you by D1Baseball.com. I am your host, Michael Patrick Rooney. I want to say thanks to our sponsor, Netting Pros. Netting Pros specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting and padding for college baseball programs all around the country. Next time your fielder facility needs something new, whether that be netting, wall padding, L screens, or ball carts, make sure you check out our friends at Netting Pros. It's, it's the perfect combination. These people love college baseball. They love baseball, period. They'll be at the convention, and their products are just phenomenal. So, again, thanks to the, the folks at Netting Pros. Uh, before I introduce the guests, uh, if, if this is your first Sunday night conversation with us, it's a three-year-old program. A couple of years ago, we did it just as a way to um, promote volunteer coaches in college baseball. Those guys work so hard behind the scenes, and it's a really fun way to meet some of the up-and-comers in our sport. And then, um, you know, now we don't have volunteer coaches anymore, which is really awesome. And then uh, last year, we just kind of had some fun with themes like catching, pitching, outfield play, offense, etc. And this year, I've just gotten totally selfish, and I've just come up with ideas that I'm super intrigued by and interested in. And uh, that's tonight's one of those topics. So we've got Mitch Gaspard here. We've got Tim Jamison. And these guys have incredible coaching resumes. And, and one of the interesting things that Mitch and, and Tim have in common is they are assistant coaches now. They've also been head coaches. And they've been head coaches in the SEC. And, you know, I, I, I want to say this in the most respectful way possible. There is great college baseball played all over the country. We know that. Great players, great coaches, et cetera. The SEC is different. It, it just is. It's a different animal. Um, right now and it's been that way for a little while and and you know these guys have have experienced that in, in many ways so um, let's jump in here uh, Mitch and Tim is so awesome this, I am so excited for this I was pumped for this thing um, I, I, the hardest part of getting ready for the show was I always get about four or five questions and then we run out of time man I had Mitch your 97 Alabama team I think could be its own podcast you know, Tim, your seven straight regionals could be its own podcast. I am going to probably ask you guys about that, but let's start here. And Mitch, I'll have you kick it off. I want you to just kind of bullet point your resume for us. Like, where'd you grow up? Where'd you play? You know, what it would have been your coaching stops along the way? And then Tim, I'll have you do the same thing. Yeah, well, thank you, Mike. I uh, grew up in Port Arthur, Texas, went to uh, high school, Port Arthur, Thomas Jefferson, uh, was a football, baseball player there. And then, uh, my claim to fame at LSU, I was Skip Bertman's first signee All at, right. at LSU in uh, 1983, spent two years at LSU, and then two a uh, couple years at University of Houston, and then uh, started my coaching there at Houston one year, and then UL Lafayette, which was USL at the time, Northwestern State, Alabama did two stints at both of those, then Kansas State for a couple years, Georgia. And now to uh, Louisiana Tech. Awesome. All right. Let me ask you a couple of follow-up questions, Mitch. So you came to Alabama when Coach Wells had kind of got taken over there. He had been on Skip Bertman's staff, if I'm not mistaken. And really, you know, you guys built Alabama into a absolute powerhouse. Um, tell, tell us about, I feel like Coach Wells is probably not as famous as he should be in college baseball because it was kind of a, it was kind of a quick burn. What, tell us about Coach Wells. What was it like working for Coach Wells? Well, one, you know, Jim's always been very unique, and but the absolute best prepare, best practice coach I've ever been around, and it, really all the knowledge I've gained, the majority of all of it has been from Jim. But uh, the two stints, one, you know, when I was at USL at the time, Southwestern Louisiana. Jim was just starting at Northwestern State. He was a one-man wrecking crew. Then Mike Bianco went with Jim as a grad assistant after Mike caught at LSU. And uh, they made their first regional, and Jim had won his first Southland Conference title, and he was hot. You know, so Jim, we would I would see him out on the road. I had a chance to – I was – actually, Dave Van Horn was at Texarkana Junior College, and I'm sitting in the stands recruiting a player. Coach Coach Wells is there as well. And we just start talking. He's, and he said, hey, I, I think I'm going to get a, my first assistant at Northwestern State this summer. Would you have any interest in coming over? And, and so I said, you know, absolutely. And uh, so yeah, I was at, at, at Lafayette at the time. I was – I was that restricted earnings type coach. And, and uh, so I was going from 
16 to 18,000, you know, to, to go to Northwestern state, but so go to Northwestern state for two years with Jim and uh, we went a conference championship, had a good run there. And then uh, believe it or not, Jim's dream job was here at Louisiana tech. And uh, so they ended up hiring at the time, Mike Kane and Jim was down in the dumps. We had just went to the regional at, at Oklahoma state and we're there. Jim knocks on the door and he said, Hey, I've got a phone call from Hootie Ingram at university of Alabama and they want me to come in and, and, uh, you know, take a trip to Alabama. Well, boom, two or three days later, he's taking the trip. He gets the job, but Jim was, uh, I'm telling you just a baseball guy through and through. And, and, and I think you, you said it earlier, his burn was quick, but it's because how hard he went. And it was just, uh, you know, everything he, he had the Skip Bertman tree or the Skip Bertman philosophy with all the things he did, but he just went above and beyond with all of it. It was the most prepared teams I've ever been around. And he just knew the ins and outs of everything about his club. And, and that was obvious just how quick he was able to turn the Alabama thing and get that thing rolling and how hot it got for, you know, about seven or eight years. And then, you know, a couple more years after that, but it, it was, it was a pretty special run there at Alabama from 95 94, 95 to about 2000, 2001. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, one more, Mitch. Um, so you, you, you leave the LSU, you go to Houston. And Houston is also one of these programs that's got like this sneaky, awesome tradition. Like there's so many, I think even current coaches that somehow, some way, their, their lineage traces back to UH. Who were some of the people that you were around at UH? Yeah, when I was in Houston, we had, uh, well, David Pierce, obviously was at University of Texas. David was the grad assistant at that time. Uh, the late John Altabelli uh, was the other grad assistant at that time, uh, who later went on to at, uh, Orange Coast in, in California. And uh, uh, David Denny, who was a great player at University of Texas. Uh, Rainer Noble, who was later the head coach at University of Houston. And so I was very fortunate. Bragg Stockton was the head coach my senior year, Roland Walton my junior year there. So very fortunate just through both my plan career and coaching career, just, just all the great people. I mean, that I've been fortunate to be around and all the knowledge just been able to suck up through all those years. Mm, that's awesome. Very cool. All right, coach Jay, let's do the same thing. Kind of bullet point us through your resume, if you don't mind. Uh, my family moved to Columbia, Missouri when I was in the seventh grade and lived in the, pretty much there for quite, quite a uh, long, long period of time. But, ended up playing baseball at the university of new orleans from uh, 1978 to 81 and then went into become a graduate assistant right when i got done playing and i was very fortunate to be there at a time when really before the sec became the sec and uh, we were one of the better programs in that part of the country but i was there up until uh, uh 1989 when coach mccarter called me and wanted me to be the pitching coach at the university of missouri which i did for six years before um, then he retired and fortunate enough to become the head coach, which I, which I did for, for 22 years before I got out of coaching for a little while and uh, got back into it about five years ago at Southern Illinois University to be a pitching coach. And then Coach Jackson, uh, the current head coach of Missouri, called me, wanted me to go with him to Memphis, which I did. And, uh, you know, with things have turned, but now he's gotten come back to Missouri and brought me with him and things have become full circle. Mm, that's awesome. Hey, uh, Coach Shea, when you were at SIU, did, did Lance Rhodes never coach for you, right? Like you you guys, but you obviously knew him because you were covering the games and announcing some of the games, right? right. No, we, he is actually a, a player in a St. Louis uh, amateur, one of the travel teams. Oh. We recruited, you know, Max Scherzer and a bunch of different guys came from that from that team. And Lance was a, well, Lance was a good pitcher and a guy that we really wanted to have, but uh, ended up not going that direction. So I've known Lance for a long time, but but we got to know each other better when he was the assistant here under uh, Coach Beezer and and then, like you said, covering the games. And you know, I, the irony of it is like, I tried very hard to get back in the game for two-plus years, and, and I couldn't get anything. And Coach Jackson and Coach uh, Rhodes had the same agent. And I'd pretty much given up. I, was, I wasn't going to be able to get anything. And Coach Jackson calls me and says, hey, listen, uh, the SIU's pitching job's open. You interested? And I said, yeah. Five minutes later, I got a call from Lance. And five minutes after that, I, I was the pitching coach at Southern Illinois. And so it just needed to create the awareness that, that I wanted to get back in. 
Uh, I'm kind of torn, Coach Shea, because I like you back in the game coaching. That's that's good for college baseball. But I do miss your broadcast because I always got smarter as a as a, 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 a someone watching the games, to hearing you talk about pitching. Hey, let me let me take you back to UNO for a second. So um, you were teammates with Paul Maneri there. You know, Coach Maestri is I, to me. You know, like he took UNO to Omaha. Like he, you know, he's very famous. You know, like this is a Hall of Famer. What was what, what was Coach Maestri doing back then that that let that program be so successful? Well, he worked harder at recruiting. And again, like I mentioned, it was the only really good baseball program in the SEC during those years was Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. Now, even, even LSU was coached by a football assistant coach, and that was pretty common. And so he just worked harder than everybody else, and he, he recruited better than anybody else. And then you know, he had the flair that Ron Frazier had at Miami. He was a promoter, and you know, we made money in baseball, and the crowds are incredible. And it was, a, it was a destination for a lot of kids. He recruited the Midwest where he was from. And then the kids from Louisiana and ended up being a really good mix. Mm, that's awesome. All right, cool. Hey, so Mitch, let me let me come back to you. I'm going to kind of carve your guys' coaching careers into two halves. Um, and now you guys can take me wherever you want on this, but I when I look at your career, Mitch, I I feel like when you were an assistant at Alabama under Coach Wells and you guys kind of took Alabama, I I, I don't if I'm being 100% candid, I have no idea where Alabama was on the college baseball map before you guys got there. They could have been fine. They could have been good. I know they weren't elite, right? Like, I know they weren't, like, a, a, a national brand. And then, you know, the 97 team, right? Like, you guys are in the in the national title game. So, yeah, what what was that? The, and it's it felt like your first year at Alabama was a pretty significant turnaround. Like it, the, the year before, 94 had not gone well. And then you guys got you, you guys got on the map pretty quickly. Yeah, I'd love for you to describe for us, like, kind of what that experience, your first time in Alabama as an assistant was like. Well, you know, when we when we walked in, Mike, they had – and Barry Schallenberger had had some good years at Alabama, but it was a little bit up and down. And that been coming off a couple rough years, and that's when they – obviously hired Jim and we came in in the season 94, 95. And, and there, there was a mix of some guys on that team really that uh, were fairly talented guys, but they were hungry and they wanted to win. And, uh, you know, Jim came in and, Hey, right off the bat within a month, he, he cut one of the best players on the team. And he, he kind of put his foot in the sand and said, Hey, this is the way it's going to be. And this is how we're going to run this program. And, and, really just the discipline started taking over. And, and, you know, we had some tough moments, you know, throughout the year, but, you know, we, we, we got hot, Mike, probably three quarters of the way, you know, into the year. Uh, we were at Notre Dame and uh, I remember we got, uh, we got beat and actually Paul Maneri was the coach at the time at, at Notre Dame. We, we were out there for a Tuesday, Wednesday game and, and, uh, we got beat. It was, it was like four to one on a Tuesday night that, you know, most guys just pack up the bags and say, Hey, it's a Tuesday night loss. We'll try to get them on Wednesday. And uh, this is like game 40, you know, in the year. I mean, we're, we're almost three quarters of the way through and, and, uh, Hey, Jim said, Hey, right field line. And this was back, back in the day you could do that. And so we get on the right field line and, uh, we ran 50 wind sprints. We had a roughly, you know, 40 yard wind sprints at the time. And so, cause I remember it, you know, I, I was on one line starting them and Todd Butler, who was the other system was on the other line. And after every 10, Jim would give them a talk and say, you know, every good team, you've got to win at least 40 games. And that's how many sprints we're going to run. And, and, uh, but that night, it really, we got back and whatever it was, that group just really came together and we beat Notre Dame the next day. We go to LSU, uh, we win two out of three and we really get on a run. And the the crazy thing is we get to the conference tournament and I, I can't remember, I think we're about the fifth or sixth seed. And that's when the conference tournaments were hosted at the site Mississippi State was the the host site that year and we won every game in the bottom of the ninth by a run to win the conference tournament and we were down three in the championship game to LSU and uh ended up scoring four runs in the bottom of the ninth to to win and and then go to the regional went to 
Clemson that year in our first year and, and made it to the finals. Chris Benson uh, beat us in the finals that year. And, and, but really that triggered the run. And cause we had a few of those guys back and then we added more recruits that year to that group. And then, you know, that, so the 96 team went to Omaha and the 97 team was by far the best team I've ever been a part of and played for the national championship and then went again in 99. So, uh, but we'll all say the 95 team is the one that really triggered that run and established just some identity of who we're going to be and how we're going to play. And it, it, it was a very hard nosed blue collar culture there. And, you know, Jim just really set the mark with that first team and they, they responded. There was some really tough group of kids that, uh, you know, really built that thing and got it rolling in the right direction. That's awesome. Hey, so the 97 team, Mitch, you know, I, I recall you guys having a ton of power, you know, like that was the gorilla ball era. I think Brandon Larson hit 40 home runs that year for LSU. And if, if I read it correctly, you guys had played each other six times. The national title game was the sixth time and it, you guys were three and three, but you also played it without Roberto Vaz. I, I never know how to say it. Is it Vaz or Vaz? How do you say it? Vaz, yeah, Roberto Vaz, Vaz, yeah, yeah. So, 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 tell me about that rivalry, you guys in LSU that year, because it seems like you guys had some Donnie Brooks. Well, we had, you know, I'll go all the way back. Vaz was the one guy that could talk to Jim and was very comfortable. But Roberto was from Brooklyn, so he had a little swagger about him and pretty comfortable in his skin. So that year at LSU ended up hitting 193 home runs. I think we had like 184 in 97. It was crazy. And so LSU had a little bit of kryptonite facing left-handers. And Vaz has been, had been our mainly our closer, but we started him occasionally. And, and uh, so anyway, it's Tuesday, Wednesday, myself, Todd, and Jim, we're in the office and we're talking, kind of breaking down the series. We needed to sweep LSU to win the SEC outright. Uh, two out of three meant we would share the title. And so when we get a knock at the door, and so open up the door, it's Roberto. And so, you know, Jim's going, hey, what do you need, Roberto? He said, hey, if you want to win Friday night, give me the ball. He said, I'll get Friday night's game. You just We got to figure out Saturday and Sunday. And so Jim, in typical fashion, said, yeah, all right, Roberto, shut the door. And we'll... so as soon as he shuts the door, hey, what do y'all think? You know, so, so he said, absolutely give him the ball. So crazy thing is, he, he goes, I think he went CG. It makes good for the story. I know he went at least seven. Hits a two-run homer late. We end up winning the game like six, seven, two on Friday. Well, Saturday we come out. And that was the game we we beat them like twenty eight to two. It was un- yeah. incredible. And uh, Thompson started for LSU. Well, he was out of the game in the bottom of the first or bottom of the second. I mean, it, it was a game where balls are hitting sprinkler heads, bouncing over the shortstop, just crazy stuff going on. So we go into Sunday and uh, we sweep. We win the conference outright. They beat us. You know, we split it. And uh, it's a great game. And I believe it was the eighth inning. Uh, Kerner hit a two-run homer. I think Furnace hit one early. And so LSU ends up winning that game. And, and Thompson comes back in that game and ends up going four innings and is dynamite. He's got a big 12-6 hammer and, and uh, strikes out, you know, six or seven. But great game. Kerner hits the home run. LSU, so we split the title. And then we beat them uh, once, I believe it was one time for sure in the conference tournament. We ended up winning the conference tournament cha- uh, tournament that year. And the key in, in really in Omaha was Robert, Roberto Vaz. We're playing Southern Cal. And as Tim said earlier, that was the, still the six-team regional. And so we've got Southern Cal in the championship games. Got to beat us twice. And there is a white baseball on the white chalk line mm. during batting practice. Vaz hits the ball, comes out of the box, steps on the baseball, and 
ends up breaking his ankle before the before the championship game of the of the uh, regional and knocks him out for obviously that game and Matt Frick who was catcher ends up walking off uh Southern Cal who was who was a hell of a team I think they won it the next year and right. uh Literally sending did, us yeah. to Omaha but uh Roberto not only did we lose our 3-0 hitter but we lost one of our main bullets you know at, at both out of the pen or starting however we wanted you he had the absolute best year, single year, I've ever been a part of. I think it was something like four ten with twenty two, and eight and two on the mound with six seven saves. It was, it was an absolute incredible year. Mm, that's awesome, and plus, like the the just the confidence, like you mentioned, like you lose a guy like that, it's almost like the team spirit animal. That's. Oh, man. Oh, he Incredible. was full of swagger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So great. The Brooklyn. Hey, Coach Jay, so I'm going to I'm going to split your your Missouri time, your Mizzou time into two parts. Like so you started there you, when you first took over, as I understand it, you guys are in the big eight. Then you're in the big 12. And, you know, if you guys are in the big eight this time when Oklahoma State is on this crazy run, Oklahoma State had won the big eight. 14 years in a row. I mean, it's crazy to win it 14 times, let alone 14 consecutive years. So my your second year, as I understand it, you guys win the Big 8. And then you had that, I think the most famous part of your stretch in the Big 12 is you guys go to seven straight regionals um, in that stretch. I think it was 2003 to 2009. You could go wherever you want with this, but I'm really curious about that, that stretch where you guys went to seven straight regionals because that is just so hard to do. You guys won um, that, that Pepperdine, that Malibu regional to go to a super regional. But what was, what was the difference when you guys went to those seven straight regionals? What, what, uh, what was the key there? Well, you'll remember, you remember the, the name Ian Kinsler because you helped us yeah. kind of uh, foster that deal. But Jace Tingler and, and Ian Kinsler were on the 2003 team. And we had the year previous, we, we had a lot of freshmen, that we ended up playing much like in 96 when we won the big eight 95 we struggled but we played a lot of freshmen that year and benefited it uh, the following year so in 2003 we benefited from having played freshmen in 2002 but kinsler and tingler were just just took over that team and they got us they got us on the run and um through that beginning of that the beginning of that seven year run but it, then after that we had really good arms I mean, we had uh, in there in that stretch, we ended up having three first round pitchers that uh, ended up pitching for us. Uh, but just to just we played really well. We, we were a team that that uh, embraced what Missouri is. And quite honestly, the you know, the weather doesn't cooperate. And uh, it was but it was good to have teams from Texas come up and play us in Columbia because they didn't want to be here. And it, we, we used it and we had kids that, that bought into that. And you know, we had a tenacious group of guys that just competed. But, but again, during that stretch, uh, sure. I would always tell the story in, in 2004 regional, we went to, we went to Arkansas. And at that time, Scherzer was a freshman. He didn't pitch in the regional. And, and then 2005, we went to Fullerton and played in the regional. I had a guy named Doug Mathis. He didn't pitch in the regional. Both those guys in a pitching in the big league. So, you know, I can't get a whole lot, give be given a whole lot of credit because who knows what might have happened if I pitched those two guys. But in Max's second year in 2006, you, or, or 2005, he had, had dominated. And, but during that, uh, during that year, we had other guys that ended up playing at the big league level. But the year that you talked about in Malibu was 2006. That was the year we, we, we were the last team in. And it was probably the best talent that I that I had in, in the entire time that I was here. We had Scherzer, uh, his junior year, ended up being a first round draft pick. Aaron Crow was a freshman; he ended up being a first round draft pick. Uh, just about everybody on the field made it to Triple A or the big leagues, and it was just a really good team. It didn't come together until until the end of the year, and we were the we were literally the last team selected. And we go to Malibu and play UCLA and Pepperdine, and we lose our first game. Max gets beat the first game. Uh, against Pepperdine. And so we have to win four in a row to, to win the regional. And then we played Irvine the next game. And that, that was coach Serrano. We ended up playing 13 innings mm. and we had, we had, uh, we were the visiting team. We had two, one, two, three double plays that we, that we executed extra innings to continue to play. And so we ended up winning the game in 13. And the next day I throw a guy by the name of Rick Zagoni, who was a freshman. He beats UCLA two to one in a complete game. Come back that night, and we throw Aaron Crow, who had not won a game yet. He throws a complete game against Pepperdine, 
and come back the, ne the next day and uh, we start our closer and he goes four and two thirds and Max was warming up the ninth, never had to come into the game because we scored enough runs. But, but that, that was, you know, an ending of a regional that we never expected. And in 2007, we ended up hosting and, and honestly, that was probably their best chance to get to Omaha. 2008 was a very similar team. Uh, that was Crows the year that he ended up being national pitcher of the year. And, Kyle Gibson was a freshman in 2007, then it'd be a first round draft pick. So we are very fortunate during that stretch. I'm sure Mitch can, can attest to this is we held on to the high school kids who got drafted. Mm -hmm. They ended up coming to school and that really allowed us to, to have what we needed to have to keep that thing going. Were Scherzer, Aaron Crow and Kyle Gibson, were they all drafted high school players that just said no to the draft or were some of them, were any of them a little under the radar in recruiting? Well, Scherzer was, I think, a 30th round pick, mm -hmm. uh, probably. And Max was, if you see him in high school, it's certainly not what he is now. He, he's he's come so far in where he was high school and freshman year. So he was drafted on projection, but not certainly on performance. Gibson was, I think, a 36 rounder out of uh, out of high school. And we had to work hard to keep him. Uh, I had to convince his dad that we put some weight on him. And they didn't believe me, but fortunately we did that. But then Crow was undrafted out of high school. And in all honesty, with those three guys, he ended up having the best college career uh, of the three and ended up being a first-round draft pick twice. Mm, that's awesome. And uh, where, where were those kids from? Scherzer's a St. Louis kid, right? Right. Uh, uh, Kyle is from a, a town just east of Indianapolis. And then Crow is from a town called Wakarusa, Kansas, which is just right outside of Topeka. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, so cool. I, I know that I've, I've told this story no less than 100 times this year because people are I feel like the January transfer thing is um, is a topic that's surfacing. And I couldn't be more against that whole you know mid-year transfer thing for a million reasons. But Ian Kinsler is one of those reasons because he um, we worked so hard to get him to school and we brought him in January because we were panicked about Dustin Bedroya playing shortstop as a freshman. That looks very idiotic looking back. Um, and, and, you know, poor Ian, like he comes as, you know, he comes in January and that means somebody's got to go to the bench and great kid, great player, you know, it's just, I don't know I don't want to take us down that tangent, but that, that was, um, felt like that was really unfair to him. And then I remember when, when, you know, he was going to your guys place, just thinking I might've even said it. I think, I, I can't remember if it was Evan Pratt who I talked to on that one, but I just remember thinking, man, like we, we are dumb people like we <laughs> god bless you guys like yeah well, uh, i've always asked the question how you couldn't find room for both of those guys in your infield but for, yeah. unfortunately kinsler ended up not playing a whole lot and yeah uh, a quick story about him and that we learned a lot about our guys when the weather gets cold and that fall that he was in here was a really cold fall and you know ian's from tucson and and so we didn't know how he's going to handle that and you'd never know it. you'd never like he played the same way regardless of the conditions and the circumstances and you know how mentally tough he is and he's just a phenomenal player but we knew right there we had something special because he handled all the, the elements that that all of our guys have to ha had to handle and he did it and performed at a very high level yeah great yeah he's just great like one of those kids where you just feel like man you couldn't be more thrilled to see that you know a kid overcome that and and um yeah, super awesome. Hey, before we uh, before we go to the second part, round two of the head coaching part, I want to say thanks to Pitch Logic, another one of the sponsors for the show. Pitch Logic is the system used by players, coaches, scouts, and instructors at all levels of play, from youth leagues to the big leagues. It's easy to use, affordable technology. It makes the platform accessible to every player at every level of the sport. All the metrics and features that are used at, at, in the major league game. See pitchlogic.com for more information. Again, that's pitchlogic.com. And thank you to those guys for, again, making this possible. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors. All right, guys. So let's do let's keep moving forward. So so let's talk about being a head coach in the SEC. You know, just I we, we said it on our regular D1 baseball podcast recently that the SEC is one of those leagues where every day is code red, right? Like every day is DEFCON one. It just it's the league is is so nuclear in a in a positive way. Like it's just a dead, dead sprint at all times. And all the leagues are like that. But I just I think the, the SEC is, it, you, you know, you take every aspect and just ratchet it up. So so, Mitch, let me start with you. Um, you can go wherever you want with this, but I'm curious, you know, you've lived it. I have not. You know, what, what is the life of an SEC head coach and, and how did you experience it? Well, you know, with, 
with the exception of a few, I mean, the lifespans, you know, if you're fortunate, you know, 10 to 15 years, I know, you know, Mike and a few others have been able to spend a good amount of time. I, I remember, uh, guy, it was, uh, who was, uh, oh shoot. Uh, South Carolina, uh, coach Tanner, coach Tanner, I'm trying to draw coach Tanner came up and this was my first year as the head coach and, and Jim had just put in his, his time and he, and so coach Tanner, he said, well, Hey, this is year 14 for me. And he said, you know, 15 is about the lifespan at that time. And so of course he goes on and runs off two national championships, you know, before he retires and moved into the new stadium. But it's, uh, yeah, it, it's hard to say, you know, the, the part with the SEC, and I think even more so, and it just keeps building, you know, I mean, it because it, even when I first got there as an assistant in 94, 95, you know, as Tim mentioned, I mean, it was very selective teams were at, at that time were, you know, really committed to the game. And so uh, I, I think within my time there, you, you saw real, obviously, Mississippi State with Ron Polk's always had that commitment, but I think you've seen with quite a few others. Obviously, LSU went that, that direction, Ole Miss with Mike, and not to mention, you know, others, but it was uh, very obvious, you know, who made that financial commitment and uh, and just how this, you know, just from the ballparks, the crowds, just how everything exploded, you know, at that time. And it, even just the crowds themselves. I mean, you knew if you were going to state or LSU, you were going to play in front of a packed house. But by the time, you know, as, as a head coach later, pretty well everywhere you went, you know, you, you were playing in front of a sold out venue and, and it was going to be a pretty hostile crowd and it was going to be a beautiful ballpark. And, and uh, even now, you know, being at Louisiana tech, we, you know, we, we play a lot of the sec and, you know, we'll play some midweek, we'll play some early on in the season and uh, it's it's really an incredible just to see the one the the amount of talent you know that uh, they're they're able to accumulate year after year, but also just the commitment that's there to their baseball program and uh, obviously the the venues that you play in and and just the, the the coaches and just when you put it all together, I mean it's a you know, it's pretty incredible just what the SEC has become in baseball and the commitment that they've made uh, in that sport. And I think that's why you have, you know, year in, year out, you've got those teams winning national championships now. So, Mitch, let me ask you this. So, you know, you mentioned the facilities and the venues, and it is crazy. You know, like I I remember having this conversation recently where it's like, if you play Mississippi State in the postseason at night, you're basically playing in a haunted house. If you play at Arkansas, it's like, they're having a baseball game in the infield of the Daytona 500, you know, LSU is like that. They're the original gangsters, that crowd, you know, it's like that place is you can feel the stadium shaking and I, I could go, you know, Ole Miss has got the beer showers. I mean, you know, Texas A&M, your poor freshman. I mean, don't even bring freshman pitchers to A&M, right? Like ball five, <laughs> ball six. I mean, what, just like you guys just are charting this weekend. Like you're not, you're not ready for this. So, so, and I could just go, I could just keep ripping through the league. I mean, South Carolina, um, you know, now, Florida yeah, you can go on and on. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. So the, but you know, when you got, when you took over at Alabama, you guys didn't, it, my perception is you didn't have that. Now the Joe now is gorgeous and like, you know, top line was when you were trying to get Alabama to make a big investment in a baseball facility like that, was it just like, Hey, you guys need to come on one road trip with me and you'll know what I'm talking about. Or were they already savvy to that? And it just, they just need a little bit of time to raise the funds. Well, I, I think it was kind of twofold. I, I think a lot of it started, you know, obviously Jim Wells had a vision of what needed to happen and uh, it, it didn't happen in the timely fashion, you know, un, under Jim that it, that it needed to. And so when I took over really was on the heels of what Jim had kind of started there and where it needed to go. And so, uh, fortunately, you know, the commitment was made and, uh, it was, we had a, about a two year, uh, fundraising project, obviously, you know, that helped out with it. And then, uh, by the plant, you know, the time of the plans and the building and all it, it was, uh, 
you know, we ended up, which was my last year at Alabama was our first year in, in the new ballpark. And, and that was something I, I was very proud of that. Uh, and I felt like the, it could certainly get them back where they needed to be. And, and I think, and it honestly, as a been a long time Alabama guy, and it always means a lot to me there. And my two daughters graduated from Alabama and, and uh, just what they did for me in my career, it, it was pretty awesome last year to watch them host the, the regional in Tuscaloosa and see that ballpark filled up and see them have success. So uh, that, that was nice. I know it was a long time coming. I know their fans were hungry for that. And, uh, but it is, it's a beautiful ballpark. They did a great job with it, but you know, in that league now they're, they're, they're just one, you know, many that uh, they're already probably middle of the pack as far as it goes to ballparks now. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, you know, like that, that's part of the deal, right? If you're, if you're a player and you get drafted by the Tampa Bay Rays, then your best home facilities are behind you. No offense to the Rays, right? Like the, the Rays would be the 11th best facility in the, you know, in the SEC. It's just, it's not, not to mention crowd you know, attendance numbers. So, Hey, so coach Jay, let's, let's, you, you ushered Mizzou into um, the sec. And I, I want to be careful here. Like the big 12 is, you know, was, and will be one of the elite baseball leagues historically, currently, etc. I mean, you came from a great league and then you went into the sec. Ironically, you know, your third year at Mizzou, you guys want, you went 15 and 15 in the regular season. And that's still the best regular season win total for Mizzou in the, in the time they've been in the SEC. But what, from your perspective, what, what was it like transitioning Mizzou from big 12 to the SEC and, and what, you know, what does make the league so unique, the SEC? Well, the, probably the first thing, um, Mike, is that we weren't, we weren't prepared to go into the, to make that move. You know, we thought we'd had really, well, we did, we had success in the big 12 and mm-hmm. we, uh, you know, the transition that we made was, you know, we we didn't realize just how difficult of a grind the the thirty game schedule is. You know, the Big Twelve at that time was twenty four games, and so you had two by weeks during by weekends during the season. So you had kind of time to catch your breath. And one of the biggest differences is that there are always going to be some teams in the bottom half of the Big Twelve that you could go in there knowing you're going to win two games. And in the SEC, there's no weekend that you can expect that. And so you got you got ten weekends against teams that that you just got to battle your butt off just to win one game not to not to mention two games but the athleticism on the field was a shock for me the balls that got through in the big 12 did not get through the infield in the sec you know the balls that got into the gaps in the big 12 were run down in in the sec and then of course the the back end of the game the starting pitching wasn't that much different but from the middle of the game to the back end of the game completely different in terms of talent and, and, and particularly arm talent uh, the, the coaches uh, super pre- you know, prepared prepared their teams to play at a high level. We could always count on, like I mentioned earlier, that the team from Texas would come into Columbia in a cold weekend and we kicked their butt because they didn't want to be here. We've had plenty of teams come to Columbia from the SEC in cold weekends and they still play their butts off. Um, and so it's just a it's a completely different animal. And like you've already mentioned, the the commitment to the facilities and it's it, it, but beyond that, it's 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 the recruiting. Right, the talent of players that you get to the, come to the SEC. All you got to do is look at the draft lists and where the players are coming from. And and now with the NIL and all the other resources that are out there, it's just it's, it, it has separated the SEC even that much more. But um, but even since I was in the SEC, my last year was 2016. That was before launch angle. That was before spin rate. That was before synergy. Um, and now the, the the every SEC program has somebody on analytics. Are multiple people analytics in the program, and so the resources just keep growing, and and the separation gets wider and wider. Yep, mm, it's so interesting. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I never forget when you were saying that, Coach Jay Tom Hart, who's is a Como native, and you know, obviously just a premier broadcaster in in the SEC, and is a guy that loves college baseball. But I'll never forget him saying when this all started. He said the SEC network has become the national network for college baseball. And I think that's, you know, all these, you know, it's, it's like whatever, all the variables that we have in college baseball, the sec is all in on every single one of them. There's not one that they're not checking that box and and trying to be, they're trying to be the best in facility, best in recruiting, best in preparation, best in, you know, just every single item. Um, Other thing, Mike, too, and I apologize for, no, you're good. Cutting you off it. 
and Mitch can attest to this, is when I first got in the league, baseball is probably still is. Baseball was the number two sport behind yeah. football. Yeah. And basketball, I think, has caught up um, maybe most of the programs. But you could point at the vast majority of the schools in the SEC generated more revenue in baseball than they did in basketball. And, and that's, I mean, how unique is that, right? And so that, that kind of, in a microcosm, that tells you exactly what the league's about. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's, 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 it's awesome. It's, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, like, what, what's that expression? They only tackle the guy with the ball. And I'm on a lot of podcasts where I catch myself picking at the SEC. And it's just because, like, my, my, my guiding principle in, in my college baseball life is this. We, we need to celebrate what the SEC has done for our sport and how passionate the league is about our sport. But we also can't let the SEC suffocate the rest of the sport, right? Like that we, that's the middle ground we got to find where we can't let the SEC run so far past everybody else that, you know, that, that we create a mess for ourselves. So that's an easy thing to say out loud. It's a, it's a hard thing to do. Let, let's do this, you guys. So you guys have had the unique experience of being head coaches at the highest level of our sport. And now you've gone back to be assistant coaches. And Coach Jay, you alluded to it. You know, it, it took a couple of years for, for that to happen for you. You guys have both done incredible jobs. I mean, you guys were no-brainers for the show because I can't think of two guys that are more well-respected in our sport than you two are. And, and so I, I want to – I guess I'll, I'll phrase the question this way, and I'll start with you, Mitch. Like, what's been the funnest part of going from head coach to assistant coach? Um, what, have, what have been the joys of – because we all know the head coach is um, – it's a tricky gig, right? Like it's the biggest chair, you're a CEO, um, you, you know, the, the further you get up the totem pole, the further you get away from the players in some ways. So, so you can go wherever you want with this, but I, I, I guess that's the nature of the question is what's the funnest part of the most joyous part of being an assistant coach? Well, you know, for me, Mike, it's, it's really the relationships again, you know, as an assistant, you're really close to the players. I mean, one, you recruit them, uh, Two, when they come in, you you kind of hang out with them a little bit, you jab at them, you, you coach them hard, you do all the stuff, but you build such a close relationship with every kid, and particularly the guys in your position area. And, uh, you know, as the head coach, as you mentioned, you know, hey, you're writing out that lineup every day, and you're always a little bit cautious of how close you're going to get to each kid. And so that, for me, being an assistant again has just man, it has been a blast. It really has. I've enjoyed uh, just everything about it. And so, and, and honestly landing here at Louisiana tech has been probably, a, you know, four or five years, the most fun I've had coaching. And so I, I think, you know, one, we have, we're, which I love, we're very blue collar and, uh, very mid-major, but we're, we're sexy mid-major. I mean, the guys like it here, and and, and we play the big boys, and, and we try to knock them off and enjoy it. And so and that's really Lane's personality here. And and uh, but but it's really it, it all boils down to the relationships. I mean, and and I do feel like as an as an assistant, I just I think you're just a lot closer to the kids. You're a lot more involved and. And, you know, now I'm more the old man in the dugout. So you, you try to be that, that wise owl and, and uh, where you try to give them just all the years of experience that you have. And you, you do coach a little, you know, I certainly, I, I've coached a little bit different, you know, as I've gotten older. And, and I think you just have a lot more knowledge than you once have. And, and uh, but it's, it's more about trying to impact these guys. Because really at this point, and Tim probably would tell you the same thing, you know, the chase is kind of over with for me. I mean, I'm not trying to be the head coach or trying to, I'm just enjoying the hell out every day going to work and, and working with the guys that I work with and the, and the players that I'm with every day. And, and uh, so it, it's been a blast here and, but it really boils down just those relationships with the guys every day. That's awesome. Hey, one follow-up Mitch, by the way, uh, Steven shock, who yeah. is, is such a fun person in our sport. He's got a new term. He said, we're not calling them mid-majors anymore. We're calling them grit factories. 
And now, but I liked your expression, sexy mid-major. So I don't know, sexy grit factory feels like a contradiction in terms. I'll have to, I'll have to workshop that with Steven. So, you know, you guys, like you mentioned, Louisiana Tech is a killer baseball program. I mean, that regional you guys hosted in 2021, it just looks like a super fun park. Um, I, I do want to ask you about this. In 2020, you went to, to Georgia to be mm-hmm. Scott Strickland's assistant coach. And I've wondered about this, and you guys would both fit this criteria where you know, the, the pressure, you know, the, the SEC is the big leagues of college baseball and the pressure is so enormous that guys like you that, you know, there's not that many people walking around the planet Earth that have sat in those, those chairs and you two have. And, in you know, like in the big leagues, we have bench coaches. And will we start to see more of that? What, what was that like, Mitch? Like just that one year at Georgia? Hey, Strick did it with Pete Hughes, I think the year after. But was it kind of like that? You were almost like a bench coach or did it feel more like you were a traditional assistant coach? Yeah, no, it was definitely, and, and actually, I followed Pete. Pete was there the year okay. prior to me, and so Strick had uh, called, and we had a relationship. Obviously, through time I was at Bama, and he was at Georgia, and and uh, so Strick called, and and uh, so I went there as the volunteer coach for a year, and trying tried to be a sounding board and and just help when I in, anywhere I could. I mean. Uh, Scott Daly and Sean Kenny were the two assistants. They were great, and and we were really good that year. I had a tremendous really pitching good. staff, and and uh, had an older club that was returning, and and uh, was just just a hell of a team. And that was the year Florida State got so hot. Mike Martin's last year, and they beat us in the in the regional. But uh, had a lot of lot of fun with Strick. Loved Georgia, and and he was great. And but yeah, we would. I, I think when you know, like for Scott. Noah and I had been in that chair before, you know, he would ask me some questions and different things that uh, he knew. And in the spot I was in, I, I could comfortably give him the answers, you know, that sure. at least my opinion of what I thought it would be and how it would work. And, and it, it was a nice year because we won a lot, you know, so it wasn't too many tough conversations. So it was like, Hey, we're going to pitch, Hancock today or, or Tony Losey, you know, so yeah. like, well, hell, both of them, you know, are pretty good. So the, uh, but no, it, it was, it was great. And, uh, you know, and, and really that's what kind of led me to tech here because Lane and I, you know, had a good relationship when he was at state and Lane, you know, timing's everything for all of us. And Lane was in the process of building a new stadium, which we had just come off of at Alabama. They had went through a tornado here in Ruston that tore down the stadium. And so with our relationship and all it, and, you know, it, it just worked out great. We're from Georgia here to La Tech. I was closer to home. My two daughters were, one was in Dallas, one was in Baton Rouge. We were right in the middle of them. So it, it worked out great. It was the best, best move I've made. Like I said, it, this has just been a, a dynamite stop and just have loved it so much here in Ruston. That's awesome. Hey, Coach Chase. So, so similar question, but let me let me put some let me frame it up this way. You know, so you get back. You know, you leave broadcasting. You get back into it. You go to SIU with Lance, and you guys have immediate success. I mean, you know, it was like, wow, okay, dang it. Like th- th- this is, you know, and, and and then you know, you start putting two and two together. It's like, well, yeah, like that makes sense. Like Coach Jay had awesome pitching staffs when he was the head coach at Missouri, and then you go with Carrick to Memphis, and I remember talking to Kendall and Aaron fit. And we we're like, Oh man, Carrick, man, th- this guy can really sell, right? Like this is, this is a good sign. Carrick got, just pulled coach Jay out of Southern Illinois. That, that is well played Carrick. And so, but same question, coach Jay, like what, what would have been the most fun parts of, of kind of going from that head coaching role to uh, back to working with the arms? Well, I think Mitch hit it right on the head. I think a lot of it has to do with the relationships that you, that you have with the players and, and then also with the other coaches. And when I went to start Illinois, the coaching staff, I um, mean, Lance was the oldest coach besides myself. And he was 33, 34 years old. And so I had a young staff that, that you know, I had the opportunity to mentor as well. And, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, but I think as much as anything, when I, when I got into coaching in the first place, I got into it because I loved to teach and I love the game of baseball and love to compete. Um, look forward to going to work every day because it was that simple. And then as you become the head coach and as you get older, your distance gets greater from between you and the players and not something you, you do on purpose, but it, it just kind of happens. But then you get pulled and your energy and your focus gets pulled in so many different directions um, that a lot of the joy, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but a lot of the joy disappeared 
particularly the you know my last four or five years in Missouri is just Absolutely. it just wasn't that much fun. And I didn't get into this game to make money or, or to chase national championships. I mean, great if it happens, but that's certainly not why I got into it. And so getting the opportunity to go go to Southern Illinois and work with Lance was was heaven on earth because what I did every day is I, I prepared the pitching pitchers individually, collectively, and I fixed the mounds. Okay, that's what I did. And so I didn't have to deal with all the other stuff. You know, recruiting is recruiting, but but at the same time, I didn't have to do a lot of that. And then when, when Carrick asked me to go to Memphis, it's because of our relationship. You know, the, 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 the what we had, what we shared together at Missouri when he was my assistant coach. And, and so it was an opportunity to help him. And then the same thing back here. This was not an easy decision to come back here, Mike. I mean, I'm, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, hidden demons too that that I'm that I'm that I have to overcome. And I didn't really want to coach the SEC. I want you know, I was very happy in the Missouri Valley, um, and it's just a level that you know where you could go out there. We didn't have to deal with the draft. Didn't have to deal with advisors. Um, we just coached baseball and had like like Mitch said, just enjoyed being around all the people that were involved in the program. But you know, it's come full circle, and and hopefully we can make a difference here, and I can leave it a better place than the last time I left it. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's and that's that's very fair what you're saying about um, just the, those other. I think that's why I'm passionate about making sure that we don't leave those other levels of Division One baseball behind because they're so awesome. You know, like they're just there are kids having great experiences everywhere. There are big leaguers coming from everywhere. Um, I hope I hope that that never changes. All right, let me let's do this one final question. So you guys have both coached in super regionals as a head coach. I've only coached in a super regional as, as, as an assistant coach. And I, I said this, I think on the last podcast where like, I don't know that I breathed that entire weekend. The pressure was so out of control. Um, and, and I don't think my wife, Jenny, you know, the oxygen wasn't coming easily to her either. You know, you're an assistant coach. You're thinking, man, the difference between Omaha on the resume and not Omaha on the resume feels very significant. Uh, it does not feel like like small print. Um, so, so yeah, Mitch, you go first and then Coach Jay. Yeah, what, what was your experience like being a, a skipper in a Super Regional? Well, you know, one, we we went in on, on a pretty good high, obviously, as you always do going into Super Regional. But we had beat Georgia Tech that year in the region. It was really good. And so we go into Clemson and, uh, you know, had uh, – so. We had Jimmy Nelson, who was a big leaguer, pitched for the Brewers, Dodgers, and Josh Rutledge was our shortstop, and oh, wow. had uh, had uh, had a really really good club. And so to beat Georgia Tech in the regional, we uh, Nathan Kilcrease, who we call Peanut, who was five foot seven right hander, who you know ultimate competitor could really pitch. Well we had to overthrow him to, you know, to win the regional and he was all for it. And so, and uh, so, so we ended up starting Nelson and uh, we beat Clemson in game one. So we're one win away and, and we've got Adam Morgan going in game two He's a big leaguer who it pitched in the bullpen for the Phillies. And, and uh, so, but we end up uh, getting beat the next two games and didn't win it, but, you know, that, that was my first year as the head coach, and it, it was really, you know, you just kind of get it in that mode, you know, where you're just coaching each game, and, and it's uh, – but, yeah, I think after each game, then you're going, hey, man, we got a, we got a chance to go to – <laughs> you know, we're, we're one win away. And, and uh, so I remember we would go down to the lobby in game two of the Super – and all of a sudden you start seeing people from the university that you never see. And then, so, you know, the game's pretty significant, you know, sure. that night. And uh, so, but yeah, it was, uh, it certainly can be nerve wracking and, and at the same time, enjoyable to, to obviously to get to that point, you've accomplished a lot and your guys have played really well to, to get to that moment. And you certainly want to see them accomplish that and, and, you know, being in Omaha, you know, multiple times as an assistant, uh, you know how much fun it is and how much you you carry that with you, you know, for really for your, your coaching career and, and just what you're doing even off the field. And, and you, you want your guys to experience that as well. But we fell a little bit short that year. But uh, but still, I mean, even with that, it was just uh, just a just a blast to be and give yourself that opportunity. 
Yeah, it's it's one of the reasons why I think the 32 hosts is also very attractive to me. Not just, you know, where everything's a three-game series until Omaha. It's also because, like, I feel like you win a regional and, like, sometimes your school is just getting wind of how good you are. And then next thing you know, like, the Super Regional's on you and then it's over. It's like, I, I I like the idea of teams that are having these magic runs stretching it out a little bit so the the school can can get more excited about it so well mike i can tell you that the year here you know we hosted the regional and, and north carolina state uh came in you know we had Ryder, alabama and north carolina state here and it wasn't just our fan base our entire city rallied around the regional and and our team but not only that, as North Carolina State was just smoking hot and we're so good, but our fan base really kind of joined in to North Carolina State as they went to Arkansas. And, you know, everyone here was pulling for North Carolina State and just because they had just watched them, you know, the week earlier. And, but it did so much just for to promote college baseball in the city of Ruston and really North Louisiana because. Even though LSU is huge in the state of Louisiana, North Louisiana is a little different than South Louisiana. And so, uh, you know, because we, we get a little bit of that Arkansas crowd here all the way to Shreveport. But just to your point, I mean, the ability to have people like Louisiana Tech and Ruston host a regional, it just means so much for just the game itself and what it meant, you know, obviously for our program moving forward. But I think just – that's so important for college baseball. Totally agree. Coach Shay, do you mind if I reroute your question? Like, I actually would like to get your take on that. Like, what it, what it did for your program hosting in 2007. I had actually forgotten about that. But, man, yeah, I, I, yeah. what's your take on that that aspect of getting a chance to host? Well, again, again, Mitch was right on because we had we had people that came to those games that had never seen a Missouri baseball game. And through, not just in Columbia, but throughout the state. And you know, being being the University of Missouri, it meant a lot to a lot of different people. So the crowd in our stadium at that time was minuscule, and we, we didn't have facility that's in place now, which is again in dire need of, of more seats. But but it was just a phenomenal experience in terms of just the excitement and the energy that that was captured. And you know, coming off of the the year before when we did win a regional, we were in we were in Malibu for the regional. And then we played in Fullerton for the Super Regional. And so we didn't get a chance to go home mm. stay in California. So we didn't, the players didn't get the opportunity to share in that excitement that year. And I, that's one of my biggest regrets is that we didn't have the opportunity to come back home and be celebrated to a certain degree. Because uh, um, I, I think they would have appreciated that and uh, would have meant a lot more to them. But but no, it's uh, what, what happened in 2007 here was just an incredible experience and yeah, I'll never forget it. Rest uh, and and it, it's just something that that it was such a big deal for for everybody involved in athletics, but but for people that you know, for the former players and everybody, just come be able to come back and participate in an opportunity to play to go to Omaha. Coach Shea, were they just putting bodies everywhere? Like, where were they putting the people when you guys were hosting the regional? <laughs> well, I mean, everywhere. There were uh, <laughs> they set up at that time. Our batting cages were down the left field line. They put a bit of bleachers in the batting cages. They had, uh, you know, they had standing room only throughout the stadium. Um, I've, I've got a, 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 a picture that, that a panoramic picture that was taken from the outfield. So you can see where everybody's sitting, but, but it was just, just absolutely incredible. And I, you know, that's another one of my biggest regrets is not, you know, we should have won that regional and we didn't. And uh, that, like I said, that was probably our best chance to get to Omaha because we would have ended up playing Oklahoma state and we would have hosted and we'd already beaten them four times in oh, that wow. year. And so, you know, you just have to re- – and, there, and there's some coaching decisions that I made that I, that I regret and uh, you got to live with. Yeah, man, those postseasons, they'll – yeah, they, we, we, we take those with us to our grave. That is <laughs> – oh, it, it's – it's it, that's why, like, after Super Regional Weekend and during squeeze play, it's like the, the week after regionals, and, and, and particularly Super Regionals, I'm 50% melancholy, 50% like elated, right? Like for the, the teams that are going to Omaha, it's like I'm so thrilled. For the teams that, um, that, are, that lost, I feel like, you know, I, I feel that soul crushing. We, we've all lived that. So anyway, 
crazy. Hey, you guys, this has been so fun. This has been so great. I, I knew it would be. The hour flew by. Um, you guys are, I, I meant what I said earlier, you know, like you, you, you two are so well regarded in our sport. You guys are doing such a great job. Uh, you know, it, it, it takes an egoless person, I think, to go from head coach to assistant coach. And, and your teams have been the beneficiaries of, of your great work. Your teams have done very well. I know that your fingerprints are all over that. So I, again, thank you for doing this. I want to say thanks to the folks at, at Netting Pros and Pitch Logic for putting this on. We're going to have one more Sunday night conversation. So this is interesting. Next Sunday, I'm going to have uh, my coach, Pat Murphy, and we're going to have Graham Rossini, who if you're in college baseball, you probably know Graham. He was like the original director of baseball operations, then had become a director for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's back at ASU as a senior associate athletic director. And, and you know, like Graham and Murph have been in the big leagues. And actually, this wasn't even my idea. We had a listener that called in and said, hey, like Murph has done basically everything. He's been in the big leagues for almost 10 years now. Um, and, and obviously coach at the highest level, coach in the national championship game. So uh, personally, that one will be very fun for me. It actually might not be that fun because there could be some stories told that night that I am not the beneficiary <laughs> of. But um, anyway, we, we look forward to it. So that is it. Thanks again for everyone that's listening. Have a great week, and we'll catch you next time on Sunday Night Conversations.